Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode number 8.3, the third episode in our series on Grand Canyon National Park. In this episode, Brian speaks with Joel Kane, seasonal park ranger and geologist at Grand Canyon National Park, about how the Grand Canyon is one of the best geology classrooms in the world. Preserved in the rocks, visible to visitors, is almost 2 billion years of geologic history which is nearly half the age of our planet. Time takes on a whole new meaning. Before we get to the conversation, we would like to ask for your help to grow our audience by telling your friends, subscribing, and leaving a review. Also, we love creating each episode, but it takes significant time and effort. Please consider supporting our work through Patreon, which provides a way for listeners to support the show. Just go to our website, everybodysnationalpark.com, and click on support the show. Thank you for listening. Now for this week's discussion on Grand Canyon National Park. I'm here with Joel Kane. He's a seasonal park ranger at Grand Canyon National Park. Uh, He's also been a seasonal park ranger at Zion, uh, as well as Oregon Caves National Monument and Fossil Butte uh, National Monument over in Wyoming. While he is a seasonal park ranger, he's also pursuing his graduate degree in Sedimentary geology, geochronology, and tectonics at Northern Arizona University. Joel, thanks very much for taking time out. Uh, my pleasure, of course. We were just chatting off mic about how much of a geology, an amateur, super amateur geology nerd I can be. So, <laughs> so it's great to speak to an actual real live expert. And, you know, what a great laboratory, what a great case study. Then what a better one than to be at Grand Canyon National Park to kind of understand the thrust of geological time. Thanks again. I have to imagine as a park ranger, there's no better... Uh, there's no better lab or no better case study for you uh, studying this stuff than to look over your shoulder at uh, Grand Canyon. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's one of the best geology classrooms in the entire world. Let's get into that right, just right away. So there's about, what, two billion years worth of geological history at Grand Canyon? Can you can you kind of just, uh, not asking you to run through two billion years of <laughs> history, but, uh, you know, just how was the canyon formed and why is there, why are we able to see so much of that history. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's one of the really incredible things about Grand Canyon is just uh, how much time, uh, how much of Earth's history is exposed here and readily visible. I mean, as you said, it goes, you know, the history preserved in the rocks of Grand Canyon goes back almost almost two billion years, which is almost, you know, nearly, nearly half the, uh, the age of our planet. So, um, I mean, the rocks down at the very bottom of the canyon are... Rocks actually belonging to to the uh, the true outer crust of planet Earth, which is something we don't often really see walking around on the surface of the planet, because most of the surface of the planet is covered up with layers of uh, of sediments. Because when you expose the the crust of the Earth to um, to the elements at the surface of the planet, the wind into water, it gets uh, broken down into into sediments, into sand and clay and mud and silt, and, and of course those layers pile up over time to form layers of uh, sedimentary rocks. So that's usually what we're walking around on, uh, on the surface of our planet. The only places we often really see rocks belonging to Earth's true outer crust are in mountain ranges, where those rocks have been uh, thrust upwards thousands of feet you know, in elevation by uh, the movement of, of tectonic plates. But here at Grand Canyon, because the Colorado River has sliced its way down through all those layers of sediments on top. It's actually gotten down into the uh, the true rocks of Earth's outer crust now. And, and uh, 
yeah, those rocks down there at the bottom are almost almost two billion years old, and they formed way back during the formation of of the North American continent. Are those the Vishnu rocks? Yes, those are the the Vishnu basement rocks. Yeah, I like that name. Yeah, yeah. So so Vishnu, right? The Hindu god, the destroyer of worlds, right? So that's yes. wh- Why why is that named Vishnu then? Why the destroyer of worlds is uh, named after that layer of rocks? Well, the um. Names like Vishnu, they actually date back to uh, a geologist in the late 1800s named Clarence Dutton, who studied Grand Canyon in the, uh, the 1880s. When he looked at the Grand Canyon landscape, it reminded him of the ruins of, of kind of a gigantic ancient city. Um, the, the formations in the canyon, the peaks, the buttes, the mesas, they reminded him of architecture that, that he had seen or, you know, and, and read about in places like India uh, and Egypt. And he, so he started giving formations in the canyon names, um, uh, like Vishnu and uh, uh, Brahma and Rama and um, uh, Zoroaster. Um, Egyptian names as well, like Isis, um, so, uh, and then in years after that, people kind of followed in that tradition, giving names like those to, to things in the canyon. So that's where that name originally comes from. Yeah, it's very evocative. Yeah, I, I like those names. And and so here's a let me let's get real basic here, um, Joel. Why am I not the Earth is four and a half billion years old, give or take? Why am I not uh, yeah. seeing three billion year old rocks or or four billion year old rocks? Why why only quote unquote two billion? Right. Well, so because of, of the processes of plate tectonics, the rocks on our planet are, are continuously being recycled down into uh, the interior of the planet, down into Earth's mantle, um, and, uh, and then back to the surface again. Um, there's this, this continuous cycle that's been going on for billions of years, mostly down on the bottom of the ocean floor, where old rocks... Uh, like are being basically pushed down beneath beneath Earth's crust, down into the mantle, and new uh, new crust is being created. So there's this constant cycle, uh, even up on the continents, of um, rocks being lifted as mountain ranges or as plateaus by these the, the movements of, the, of of Earth's tectonic plates. Uh, and of course, you lift any rock up above sea level, it, it erodes back down to sea level eventually. So as rocks get lifted up, eroded down, they end up down on the bottom of the ocean, get recycled back down into the earth, new crust gets created, uh, and the process just keeps on going and going and going. So it's it's difficult to find rocks dating back, you know, three, four billion years old on the surface of our planet because most of them have been destroyed and, and recycled back into the earth. Got it. So those those that two billion strata that we're seeing that that's about as old as you're going to see and uh that is um that is one thing that's remarkable about the grand canyon now uh joel about the erosion of the grand canyon the 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 river kind of cutting through it over time the colorado cutting through it over time um is that moving at a fast pace for geological time or is it moving at a measured pace for geological time in terms of geological uh, geologic time, it's it's a relatively fast pace. Most of the erosion that we see in Grand Canyon has occurred uh, over only the last uh, about six million years. And I say only, 
you know, in geology, six million years isn't very long, but on a, of course, on a human time scale, uh, that's an incredible amount of time. Yeah, that's why geology can be so fascinating, just that scope of time that you're trying to wrap your mind around. And I wanted to kind of lead you there that, you know, the Grand Canyon's being formed fairly rapidly given the Earth's age. But exactly. for us, it is a, uh, it's almost an incomprehensible amount of time where it's been uh, being carved out. So what story also does that, the Grand Canyon, tell? When we're looking at the different strata of rock, a lot of that being sedimentary. What other stories are telling us about the Grand Canyon in terms of what was there, what, what has been in you know northern Arizona millions of years ago? What, did it always look like it's, it looks now, or, or what did it look like in the past? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Grand Canyon region, northern Arizona, um, it's, you know, of course, today we're Arizona is a desert. Northern Arizona is a high desert. Uh, we actually have uh, vast forests. Um, we get snow. You know, we, a lot of people don't realize that about Northern Arizona. But it has not always been a desert. It's been many, many different things uh, at many different times throughout uh, Earth's history. So the, the rocks of Grand Canyon, um, they, they tell us that story. They tell us basically how what this part of the world, what this part of North America was like hundreds of millions of years ago, or even billions of years ago, uh, and then how it changed uh, over time. And as I said earlier, the, the, the rocks at the bottom of the canyon, they date all the way back to, to the formation of North America, to these, these ancient chains of volcanic islands basically moving across the ocean because of the movements of, of tectonic plates and, and colliding with the kind of the North American proto-continent, which was which, you know, much smaller than it is now, welding themselves to the continent and a lot of, of, of sediments and, and lava and ash and all that material from those volcanoes uh, at the bottom of the seafloor getting shoved down underneath the continent and baked uh, under heat and pressure for, for millions and millions of years. Uh, to form these metamorphic rocks called schist and gneiss, and then all the the magma that had been feeding those those volcanoes worked its way up through through that kind of that mess of uh, of sediments and volcanic rocks to form granite. So when you look at the rocks at the bottom of the canyon, there's this this mixture of a very dark black rock and then these kind of pink and white veins of granite kind of shooting through it in all different directions. So that's the story we see with those rocks down there is this this, this environment of almost two billion years ago of, of volcanoes in the ocean off the coast of a much smaller North America, which this region, the Grand Canyon region, kind of right along the edge of the, of the, of the continent. Jumping ahead then a few, a few hundred million years, North America is a little bit bigger. Off the coast, uh, out in the ocean, then we, we again have land moving towards us. But instead of just some chains of, of little volcanic islands, it's actually two whole other continents, the continents of, of Antarctica and Australia, moving towards North America and eventually colliding with it, along with the, the rest of the, uh, the Earth's continents to form what we call a supercontinent. And a lot of people have heard of, of the last supercontinent to exist on Earth, uh, Pangaea. Mm-hmm. This supercontinent was actually two before that, you know, over a billion years ago, uh, the supercontinent of uh, Rodinia. Oh, wow. I didn't know there was another supercontinent. I just had heard of Pangaea. Yeah, yeah. So that's another cycle that has been happening on our planet for billions of years. The, uh, the continents in the past, I mean, looked very different than they do today. Been moving continuously for billions of years. They they go through this cycle of, of moving around the Earth, eventually coalescing to form a supercontinent, and then after a period of time, 
you know, a few hundred million years ripping apart uh, to go their separate ways and move back across the surface of the Earth again. It's a, a cycle called, essentially called the Wilson cycle. And it's on the scale of hundreds of millions of years. So you're giving us a tour, Joel, of you know, we're at the top. It's 2018. It's a high desert, northern Arizona. But when we, we look down, we see this picture book of a violent, volcanic, inhospitable, unlivable environment. Then we, we trace it up a bit, and then we see a little bit of a coastal, if not a, uh, an, an ancient ocean floor based around a, uh, an ancient supercontinent. And then I imagine if we keep we keep going up, we see other environments that were that was in place here as the you know the continents keep sliding all around uh, you know the Earth's mantle. So we're getting different pictures of time and just I guess when we were looking at high desert, this is just a snapshot now, and this too will change at some point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, after after the formation of that supercontinent, you get you start getting layers of sediments getting getting piled on top of those those new basement rocks. With, I mean, the collisions of those of those continents uh, actually produced a, a gigantic mountain range. So the the rocks we see at the bottom of Grand Canyon, there was once a mountain range uh, in this part of the world made of that rock, which got eroded down flat, and then layers of sediment started getting piled on top. And of course, every every different layer of sedimentary rock tells us a different story about uh, what the environment was like, the, the kinds of sediments that are piling up. Um, the structures we see in those sediments was, you know, um, flowing water and wind, uh, lakes and rivers uh, and the ocean, um, the fossils. Uh, we see fossils in those rocks that tell us about the plants and animals, the types of life that, that you know, was in those environments. And we see just, uh, I mean, when you look at Grand Canyon, there's just so many different colors and so many different layers. Every one of those colors is a, a different kind of a rock, a different kind of environment. Um, so, I mean, we see oceans and rivers and beaches and, uh, tidal floodplains, um, <laughs> and, uh, swamps and lagoons and marshes and all sorts of different environments. Yeah. It's a, it, it's certainly the picture book or, you know, this is a, a crude pop cultural reference, but it reminds me of, a. All the Star Wars films where each planet is, you know, there's this ice planet and then there's the desert planet and then there's the jungle planet, right? That, right. You get all those planets right there as you drill down in the Grand Canyon. They're all there, basically exactly. every environment. Basically, I guess, I guess every environment. So what fossils can a visitor see or can they see? You know, what fossils are, are you finding? I assume all sorts of times, depending on the time period. But are you pulling out Tyrannosaurus rex, or are we looking at more mollusks and and shellfish and primitive sea creatures, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So that's always the that's always kind of the, the question, especially in kids uh, who visit the Grand Canyon. Are there dinosaurs? <laughs> yeah. You know, can I can I see dinosaurs? And uh, unfortunately, I always have to tell them no. We don't have any dinosaur fossils at Grand Canyon because all of our rocks are too old. Yeah. Yeah. The youngest layer of rock at Grand Canyon, of course, the a, a, a golden rule in geology, um, the the a law, in fact, the law of superposition of that the oldest rocks are at the bottom and the youngest rocks are are up on top. So when people walk up to the rim of Grand Canyon and look down, they're, they're standing on the youngest layer of rock. But, but that youngest layer of rock at the top of the canyon is 270 million years old. <laughs> yeah. Which is older than the first dinosaurs right. to ever walk on, the, right. on the Earth. 
So, well, I mean, we do have tons of fossils in Grand Canyon. Unfortunately, no dinosaurs. And, and, and as you said, a lot, of, a lot of the fossils we have are marine animals that lived in the ocean. Things like you said, like mollusks, coral, things like that. The, the top layer of the canyon is a, a type of sedimentary rock called limestone. It represents basically an ancient reef environment that once existed off the coast of the continent. So we find fossils of things like, um, like scallops, brachiopod, a type of animal that was once everywhere in our oceans. They're still alive today, a little harder to find. Not nearly as many of them around anymore. What what kind of animal is that? Just so I can have a mental picture. Yeah, so so brachiopods, they they kind of look like clams. They have two shells that they can open and shut, just like a clam. But they're a very different group of animals. Um, they have these long kind of uh, feathery structures inside the shell that they can they can open the shell and extend out into the water. And those feathery structures just kind of wave around in the water, basically uh, filter feeding and collecting food. And then if they get startled, they can actually they suck them right back into the shell and shut and close up. So they look a lot like clams, scallops, you know, things like that, but very different animals. Fascinating. And just as you were describing, this massive mountain range that was eroded down flat, you know, I think of how we think of the permanence of the Rocky Mountain chain, or even an older chain like where we are on the East Coast, the Appalachian uh, mountain chain, and the permanence of that chain. And really, you know, like Appalachia was once Rocky Mountains and it's being eroded down, but the time it would take to have a Rocky Mountain chain be eroded down flat is just, uh, and then that's just but one layer in the Grand Canyon. I think that is what really can yeah. can stretch your mind a little bit. Which I guess to my next question, if you're you're just a simple human trying to wrap your mind around this, I think one thing you all do well is the trail of time. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about the trail of time and and how that can sure, you know, make yeah. it a little bit more accessible to uh, our human brains and our human time span? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the trail of time is is one of my my favorite thing here at, uh, at Grand Canyon National Park. At least, at least my favorite kind of interpretive exhibits or exhibition, you know, that, that we have to try and explain the geology of the canyon to visitors. Now, it was a project that was initiated and, and, and created by a, a couple of professors at the University of New Mexico, Dr. Uh, Carl Karlstrom and, uh, and Dr. Laura Crossy. And uh, they had this idea of, of trying to lay out this, this timeline to scale along the room trail, along the edge of walking along the edge of Grand Canyon, um, to try and just to convey the vastness of geologic time and also to, to allow people to, to actually see examples of uh, a lot of the different rocks uh, in the canyon. Because, of course, walking around up on the rim of the canyon, you're only walking around on one layer of rock. All the other ones are way down inside the canyon. Uh, you're looking down at them from above. Now, if you are, are able and, and have the time to hike from the rim down to the river, then you'll go down through all those layers of rock, and it's and it's amazing. Yeah, the, the true trail of time. But right? a lot of people are only here for maybe yeah. a few hours. They're not able to go down to the bottom of the canyon. So the trail of time gives you gives people an opportunity to see all of those all of those rocks down there up close. Yeah. So it's 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 laid out. Um, so it's, it's walking along the rim of the canyon, but it's as if you are walking down to the bottom from the rim through all the different layers of rock. And it's, it's laid out to scale so uh, that every step you take uh, is a million years in time, Yeah, which is an incredible amount of time. You know, every single step, one million years, it, it, it's a big step. It's, it's, every step is a meter. Right. 
which is a big step. But, but it's also not a short walk. I mean, it's a uh, to give you how long that time is. It's a it's a bit of a it's a it's a little stroll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um, I mean, it's it's the main part of the trail that covers Grand Canyon's history is two kilometers long, which is a little over a mile and a half. It takes a while to walk the whole thing. Yeah, yeah that's right. And again, as you, I guess you're right. The true trail of time is if you hike from the uh, rim down into by the river. But if you can't do that or you don't have time, that <laughs> trail of time is is uh, is a great scope and scale. Exactly. So with that, just a. Just the last few questions here is uh, we talk about this geological time scale. You know, just in our own human history, if, uh, you know, my kids, my daughters, we visited the Grand Canyon, if they come back as old ladies, will they be able to see changes or is it so imperceptible that the Grand Canyon is still going to be the Grand Canyon? What changes would they be able to see over a human lifetime? Well, geologically, not too much. Over a human lifetime, the canyon is not really changing all that much. The, er- the erosive processes that are forming the canyon are always happening. And generally speaking, I mean, the river is cutting down, uh, and the sides of the canyon are, are gradually crumbling and collapsing and falling in and getting washed down to the river. Now, the river, the river actually isn't cutting down all the time. Really? Because uh, most of the time, day to day, the river at the bottom of the canyon is actually flowing over a, a layer of sediments, which is pi- which is piled up at the bottom of, of the riverbed, so the river, the water uh, isn't isn't actually touching the, the true bottom of the canyon most of the time. It's only during it's only during large flooding events, you know, when we have all the spring runoff from from the uh, snowmelt uh, or these these huge rainstorms that cause large flooding events on the river that, that they're, it's able to actually strip away those sediments, expose the true bedrock, and, and then the, the true cutting agent that makes the canyon deeper isn't the water itself. It's, it's what's carried by the water. Like, a, like scouring almost. Exactly, yeah. Uh, there's this phrase that gets tossed about liquid sandpaper. You know, and, and that idea is like, oh, the you know, the sand and the silt that gets carried by the water acts like sandpaper to, to sand away at the bottom of the canyon. That's not actually true. It's actually bigger stuff that gets carried by floods, like boulders. That's the real cutting power uh, of that river. You know, big, huge, like car and house-sized boulders which go rolling along the riverbed during floods, which break up chunks of bedrock and actually make the canyon deeper. So we say liquid sandpaper. It's actually—I like to think of it actually more as like a kind of a hydraulic jackhammer. Got it. So I mean, I guess the the point there is is that uh, look, the Grand Canyon and the Colorado are indeed dynamic and are indeed working year in year out, and and so it's not passive as those rocks just stoically sitting there may seem going up the canyon. It is still active and it's still working pretty hard. Just our time scale is so small, it's hard for us to even contemplate the dynamic changes that are going on. Exactly. I mean, sometimes we occasionally, we, you know, we'll see something happen. There's these slow, gradual processes that are always happening. This rock's kind of crumbling, being washed or blown away. Water, you know, getting down into the rocks and freezing and thawing when it gets, you know, when it gets cold during the the fall and winter and, and early spring, you know, and and kind of breaking apart the rocks. So those processes are always happening. Every once in a while, we might see somewhere in the canyon, you know, kind of a dramatic rock fall, you know, this big landslide. Every once in a while, but not very often. Every single year, we get these big, huge rainstorms in the summer, dumping large amounts of, of water, the snowmelt in the spring all rushing down to the river, and we just see literally tons and tons and tons of rock 
being carried down to the river every single year. Yeah, it's fascinating. An active laboratory. Well, well yeah. listen, yeah. Joel, I, again, this has been a great chat, and I can keep going on and on. But <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask you as a seasonal park ranger, do you have a special moment or a memory or a story where, I guess, given – it doesn't have to be given your geological um, academic background, uh, but it could be where you, you were at a certain spot and it just really – hit you and overwhelmed you of uh, what you're seeing and what you're studying and, and the vastness and the grandeur of the canyon. Do, do you have a moment that you can describe? Yeah, I, uh, so my, um, my senior year uh, as an undergraduate, uh, undergraduate drought geology student um, at UCLA in Los Angeles, uh, we, we, we went on a field trip through some areas in Nevada, like uh, Valley Fire State Park, and uh, and we made our way to Zion National Park. And uh, I'd been there before, but it was before I'd, I'd really studied geology. And there was a moment, but there's there's a formation of rock in Zion called the Navajo sandstone. It's this two thousand foot thick, you know, sheer sheer cliff of sandstone, really incredible. And uh, there's a moment where my professor told us, you know, that that they had done research showing that a lot of the, the quartz grains in that sandstone actually originally came from the Appalachians. Oh, wow. Hundreds of millions of years ago, and I just had this image in my head of the Appalachian Mountains, uh, as you said, were once you know as tall or, high, or taller than the Rockies, this, this huge mountain range on the east coast of the continent um, being formed by the collisions of continents and those mountains eroding down and sand grains from those mountains being carried by rivers across the entire continent to find their way uh, to southern Utah, only to get redeposited to form a new rock. And who knows what might happen to them in the future. And then we actually went down from Zion to the North Rim of Grand Canyon. It was the first time I'd ever been to the North Rim and the first time I had ever hiked uh, into the canyon. And I actually got down there and saw all those different rock layers, all those different environments, and just kind of this vast expanse of time and how our planet has changed was running through my head the entire time. And it's like, that's the moment actually when I kind of decided what I wanted to study in graduate school. Up until that point, I wasn't really sure because there's so many things and so many great aspects of geology and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to study. And I was like, this is it. I want to study how they figured out that all those sand grains came from the Appalachians on the other side of the continent. Yeah, that's what a great story. You know, and I don't think we put this in our trip report, so I'll talk about it now. What you know, obviously you go to a national park, most people go, it's vacation, right? And uh right. and it was for us. You go to Grand Canyon, it was vacation. And a vacation from, you know, work or school or your normal everyday life. But you know, I thought about this on a afternoon where we're walking along the rim with my parents and, and our kids and then, uh, well, then we went out to dinner um, at one of the lodges. And by the time we came out of dinner, it's uh, it was great weather. It was nighttime, and and you know the stars are in full fettle, and the Milky Way's there. And you realize, like, man, I just going into dinner, I was looking down at vast geological time. Now I'm looking up at cosmological time. It, it's it's hard. It's just hard for our little brains to wrap around. So. It was a vacation from time, really, in some ways, where you realize, wow, we are here for just a nanosecond of a nanosecond of a nanosecond, whatever that division is. And, uh, and man, th- this is the real time, is cosmological time, geological time. 
And uh, that break, you know, going to the park, it's a vacation from time. You re- right. It kind of helps you think about whatever problems you have that, well, you know, <laughs> there's a, a huge, huge cosmos out there that's going on its own clock, and it's not your clock. So, uh, well, listen, hey, Joel, this was a great – again, we can – I can keep nerding out on uh, on geology, but it's a fascinating field. And the Grand Canyon, again, is w- what a great venue to study this. So uh, thanks for the time. Thanks for the education. Uh, we really appreciate it. And good luck, with, uh, good luck with your thesis. Well, thank you. I'll need it. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Of course, it was, uh, it was my pleasure. Thanks again. Again, Joel Kane, he's a seasonal park ranger at Grand Canyon National Park, getting his thesis from Northern Arizona University soon, I assume, in geology, geochronology, and tectonics. Thanks again, Joel. Uh, You're welcome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. While there, consider clicking on Support the Show. You may find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you like the show, write a review, give us a five-star rating, and please tell your friends. You may also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or send us your comments at everybodysnationalparks.com forward slash contact. We'd love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybodysnationalparks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.